we come to you today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thinking about what we <clears throat> talked about just a moment ago. Lord Jesus, it's so good <clears throat> that we can come through you, the mediator between God and man, and we can speak directly to the Father because of what you have done. And uh, I think of that old song that says, Why should the Father bother to call us His children? And why should the Spirit hear it when we pray? And uh, why should the Father bother to be concerned with all our needs? It's all because of what the Son has done. And so, Lord Jesus, we give you glory and honor today for our life, for our salvation, for our understanding of the Word of God, for any fruit that's in our lives, and even for the privilege to pray. We give you the glory because you made all of that possible for us. And Lord, we want to pray today for the people in our church fellowship who are sick and not feeling well. And I particularly think about the uh, young mothers who have to take care of their family and take care of their children today. And uh, I pray, Father, that you would give them strength. And I pray that you would give all of them healing. And uh, I think about uh, things that other people in our church have been through uh, lately. And uh, I, I pray, Lord, that uh, some of them have spoken to me privately. And some of them have been on the prayer list. And we've all tried to minister to them and I pray, Father, that you would uh, help them and comfort them and heal them. And I want to pray, Lord, for people who have needs in their life and they have no way of meeting those needs because it's something they can't do for themselves. But I pray, Lord, that you would meet that need, whether it's a physical need, whether it is something like a job or something like healing in a marriage relationship or bringing prodigal children home. I pray, Lord, that you would do that and show your power and show your grace and show your mercy. I pray, Father, as I think about Bonnie, I pray for the burden that she has as she takes care of her dad now, and I think about the grief that he must feel as uh, they're going to be telling him about the death of uh, his wife of over 60 years. And uh, I'm not sure just how much he can comprehend, but I pray for him. He is a believer, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would overcome all dementia and I pray that you would give him comfort and give them wisdom for the days ahead and give them your peace. And thank you for reunion that's going to take place in heaven one of these days. Again, because of Jesus. And Lord, we want to pray for our nation. We love our nation. And uh, I thank you, Father, for uh, all of those for over 240 years who have been willing to lay down their lives. And then as we think about Memorial Day, for those who actually have done it. People we've never heard of. People we may never meet. People that uh, we uh, maybe they're not from our family or our part of the country. And yet, Lord, we're here today because they were willing to lay down their lives for our freedom. And Father, we know that that ultimately comes from you. Protect our country. Deliver our country. Help our country. And I pray that you would start right here in us and may a revival, a spiritual awakening spread like a prairie fire from our church all the way north, south, east, and west. And we pray, Father, for even people in government, people in the White House, people in Congress, people in governor's mansions and state capitals, people that are mayors and city council people and people that sit on school boards, people that are judges, people that are in law enforcement, all the way through, Lord, oh, how we pray that Jesus would be honored and praised and that there would be a renewal 
and that righteousness and that justice would um, be seen in our nation once again. Only you can do that, Lord, and we pray that you would. Help us to be salt and help us to be light. Help us not to lose our savor, as Jesus talked about, and to be good for nothing but to be trampled under by the feet of men. We pray for peace in Jerusalem, as David instructed us. And we thank you that when we look at Jerusalem, when we look at Israel, the fact that it exists and the fact that uh, Jewish people have gathered there, uh, that's all a part of your prophetic plan. And that reminds us to say with the Apostle John, as we look at the times in which we live, we want to sing of the goodness of God, as we said earlier. And we say with the Apostle John, even so, come quickly Lord Jesus, and this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's uh, take our Bibles this morning and let's look at uh, 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, just a couple of verses that we want to uh, pay attention to, 16 and 17. 2 Thessalonians 2, pardon me, 16 and 17. Now, I've got a picture up there on the screen of a desert and you look on there and it looks like water it's not water you ever been on a desert and have you ever seen a mirage and this is a mirage I can remember when I was a kid we would take vacations my dad was in the military and a lot of times he'd take 30 days leave and we would just travel and see all kinds of things we went a lot of times out uh, toward the west and uh we would be driving along and dad would say something like, look up there, there's a mirage. And you would look and sure enough, it looked like water. And all of that makes me think of those trips and vacations, good times that uh, we used to have. And uh, it also makes me think of some funny things too. When I was eight years old, I think it was, uh, there was a funny movie that came out with Don Knotts. How many of you remember Don Knotts? For those of you who are younger, Google K-N-O-T-T-S, I think. He uh, was Barney on Andy Griffith, but he also did some movies. And I think the movie was called The Shakiest Gun in the West. And my uncle Jerry took me and my cousin to see that movie. My Uncle Jerry was a World War II veteran. He was in the occupation of Germany right after World War II. He was a paratrooper. He was a guy who would jump out of a perfectly good airplane into a combat situation. And I always admired him. He was always kind of a, uh, kind of a John Wayne type. And uh, he was a guy who bought land there in northwest Arkansas and then, uh, you know, with a chainsaw, started clearing it off and made a farm out of it and made a good living for his family. Just a neat guy. Well, he took us to see that movie. And I remember him laughing and laughing and laughing at uh, Don Knotts. We all just called him Barney because that's how we knew him. And uh, there was one part in there where he's in the desert and he's going along and he's walking along and he's got his horse walking uh, behind him and he's going, water 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 and then uh, he sees water and he runs ahead and he jumps into it and uh, gulps the water it's a mirage and so then he's spitting out the sand and doing all that I mean we laughed and laughed and laughed but you know what in real life that could be deadly couldn't it 
It's funny in film, and it's funny when you have a character actor like uh, Don Knotts doing it, <coughs> and the physical comedy and all of that. But it wouldn't be so funny if you were the person that was actually on the desert looking for something to drink, and you find out that it's a mirage. Uh, the verses we're going to read this morning remind me that as I'm going through life, even my Christian life, even as I am participating in the traditions that Paul told us to hold fast to, don't drink from a mirage. And uh, here's what I mean by that. I think a lot of people sit in church, they sing the songs, they listen to sermons, they say amen at the right point, but all they get is a mouthful of sand. Their thirst is not quenched. They are not satisfied. In fact, it actually can kind of become deadly because they're trying to drink from the waters of tradition. They're trying to drink from the waters of ritual. They're trying to drink from the waters of morality. They're trying to drink from the waters of their own performance. And it's always completely inadequate. It looks like something that it is not. And so after Paul told, tells us to hold fast to those traditions. Now remember we're talking about something that is biblical and apostolic in that. We said that a tradition points us to Christ. A tradition brings the Christian community together. Believers together. And it also connects with other generations. But there are thousands if not millions of people sitting in church today that are not thinking of Christ not pointing toward him and his sacrifice and his gospel he's just a historical figure maybe or a religious or mythical figure there are a lot of people that sit in church today recite the creeds sing the hymns and yet it's not really bringing them together because they are looking for something for themselves they don't really care about anybody else or uh, anyone else's needs or problems or anything. It's all about them. Satisfy my needs. Feed me. Do something for me. And they're making bargains with God for that. And then it's not connecting with the generations because they don't really care whether anybody else gets it or not. It doesn't really matter. But we do. And so we hold on to these. And so we take the warning of Paul because we don't want to drink from the mirage. Here's what he says. Verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ, and this next word is extremely important, circle it if you can, himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation. You might want to underline or circle that too. It's not just for today. It's not just for now. It's not just for the situation I'm in now. It's an everlasting consolation and good hope. Not empty, good hope. And then the next two words, circle those as well. By grace, by grace. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. He has given it to you by His divine love and favor. The goodness of God. Okay? Uh, verse 17. The Father, may He comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Did you get that? Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. That kind of says it all. 
Paul is saying here, don't just follow blind ritual and tradition and think that that's going to help you. I think about people that take the Lord's Supper and they think that there's power in that little piece of bread. There's not. It's a memorial of what Christ has done for us and that's where the power is. They think that by drinking that little cup of juice or wine or whatever they're taking of, depending on what church they're in, that they think that that somehow is going to purify them, strengthen them, help them. It's going to give them exhilaration. It's going to give them power. And it doesn't. And it can't. It is the fruit of the vine that reminds us of the blood of Christ that will never lose its power. This do in remembrance of me, focused upon Christ. And that's what Paul is saying, don't lose the focus on Christ. So a good question, why are you here this morning? Well, it's just a habit. I hope it's more than that. I hope some people talk about people that don't come anymore. Well, they're just out of the habit. Really? Is that all it was? Is that all it ever uh, had been? Just a habit? Just a habit? Just a ritual? Just something that we do? <coughs> We're called in the Scripture to worship and to love a person. The Bible doesn't say if any man be in Christ, he'll go to church. If any man be in Christ, he won't get drunk. If any man be in Christ, he won't commit adultery. Now, those things would certainly be true, but if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We have a new relationship with God. His Spirit lives within us. We're right with Him. We're cleansed for eternity from all of our sin, and we can talk to Him. He lives through us. It's a whole different thing. As you've heard before, the cliche, Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship a relationship with God and if you don't have that you're drinking from a mirage and if you are a believer and you are kind of backing up like the Galatians did and you're thinking that well as long as I go to church and don't do anything really bad or scandalous I'm okay I know all that kind of stuff man you must be brilliant if you could really make that claim because you're not that smart and the other thing is, it's not just simply doing certain things that make you right with God. It's your relationship with Christ. And so Paul kind of pulls us back and he says, now while you're doing this other stuff, be careful. Be careful. Because this is something that you need that only Christ can do. And Christ has to do it himself. So think about it like this. Number one. Jesus is real and personal. Can I ask you a question? Do you have a relationship with a real and personal Jesus or just somebody who lived way back there and doesn't really care and you can't really relate to him? Is that all it is? Is that all it is? That's not saving faith. I imagine everybody in here believes in George Washington, but you don't know him. You've never met him. You've never laid eyes on him. He's just a historical figure. I don't want Jesus, and Paul is saying, don't let Jesus just be something like that. He's more than just an icon. He's more than just a figure in stained glass. He's more than just somebody you read about in a mythical book. He's real. He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father right now. He is making intercession for those who have trusted him right now. And he's making his plans 
to return and rule and reign on the earth right now. He is coming back. Are you ready for that? He is the judge. All judgment has been given to him. And if you do not know him as Savior and Lord, you will stand before him. And so like the book of Amos says... Prepare to meet thy God because that's where we're all headed. And you're either going to stand before Jesus, the real person, as Savior and Lord, as your King, or you're going to stand before Him as your condemning judge. And uh, that's a terrifying thought. And so Jesus is real and He's personal. Now may you, uh, now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Not a representative, not an angel, not an ambassador, not a person, not a priest, not anything like that, but himself. Jesus is that real. And so we're talking about more than mental assent to this, and we're talking about uh, more than just reciting a creed, memorizing a catechism, having a system of belief. Uh, I knew a guy one time that was in a church that you never really saw him much with the Bible, but boy, he always had the Baptist faith and message in his front pocket, and he's ready to pull that out and uh, use that against you. And he had the church constitution in his back pocket ready to pull that out. I remember thinking, I wish he knew his Bible as well as he knew those documents, because for some people, all it is is legalism. All it is is words on a page. All it is is ascribing to something instead of knowing that it's about someone and it's about the Lord Jesus who died on the cross to pay for your sins, the Son of God, the innocent dying for the guilty for you, and to know that He's the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. And uh, Paul wants you to have a personal love for Christ and a loyalty to Him. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus Himself warned us. He said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. So do I want you to know doctrine? Absolutely, but not at the expense of knowing Christ. Do I want you to have a rich, deep, accurate theology? Yes, but not at the expense of knowing and walking with Christ. When a person is first born again, they're so filled with joy and so filled with zeal and they don't know anything. They don't know any theology. They don't know much doctrine or anything like that. And yet they're so full of the joy of the Lord. It motivates them to read their Bible. It motivates them to grow. Remember what that was like? Remember when you couldn't wait to get to church? Remember when you couldn't wait to find out more about what had been preached or taught in church or Sunday school? Remember when you were hungry for all of that? We're talking about a reality here that centers on the Lord Jesus Christ and is never content just to check off something and say, I know that, I've heard that, I understand that. It's something that is designed to feed our souls like fresh manna all the time. We're to see Jesus on every page of Scripture. So when you read through Leviticus, look for Jesus. When you read through Deuteronomy, look for Jesus. When you read through Ezra, look for Jesus. And certainly in the New Testament, always put your eyes on Him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face through His Word. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Don't settle for the mirage. Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. Jesus writes a letter to a church that I think would be much like ours. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he 
who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Sounds good so far, doesn't it? And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. That's good. And have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience. Check. That's a good thing. And have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Well, I want to pastor that church. Where do I put my resume in? Don't you want to be a member of a church like that? Don't you want to be around people who are like that? I mean, that's a good thing. Well, now he has to say something else. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Would that be true of us? Would that be true of you? Do you love Jesus the way you loved him when you first met him? Do you love him with a love that is a priority love, the first thing and the most important thing and person in your life? And then Jesus goes on to give a warning. Remember, therefore, this is for us. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. You remember? Remember what it was like? Remember when nobody had to push you? Remember when you didn't have to do it just out of habit or ritual? Remember when you were motivated? Remember when you were in love with Christ? Remember when you were hungry for the things of God? Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent means change and do the first works. That means get back to where you were. Turn around. You're going the wrong direction. You're drinking from the mirage. It'll never satisfy. It is draining you. It is killing you. It is tiring you. It is taking all the joy out of you. And that's not the fault of anybody but you. And you've got to turn back to Jesus. Remember and do the first works. Now here's a warning. Or else I will come to you quickly and your lamp, and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans which I also hate. So are we lined up with Jesus? Are we walking with Jesus? And are we, here's the most important thing, loving Jesus? What has happened to your love For the person, Christ, the one who is your Savior. There's a forceful warning that he gives to each and every one of us. And so you think about what all has happened here that uh, he personally planned for your salvation. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't just happenstance. It wasn't just coincidence. He personally planned for your salvation. He personally came to earth. That's a real God who stepped into a real virgin's womb and was a little baby growing in that womb for nine months. Can you imagine? That's a real baby, a real person, God in flesh, that was born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger. That's a real person, God in flesh, that had to be taken away and carried away from Bethlehem, from Herod's soldiers, to uh, live in Egypt. That's a real God-man who grew up in Nazareth as a little boy up into adulthood. He had to learn carpentry work in his father's carpenter shop. He had to learn how to read. He had to learn how to write. He sat with the rabbis in Sabbath school. He learned the Word of God, and he uh, fulfilled the Word of God in everything that he did. 
He's the one who was called to public ministry. He walked by the Sea of Galilee. He calmed the storms. He's the one who called the disciples to himself. He healed the blind. He made the deaf to hear. He's the one who raised the dead. That is a real person who did that. He was really arrested, a real person. He was beaten within an inch of his life. He was nailed to a cross, spat upon, mocked, and uh, spurned. And he died bearing the wrath of God, a real person bearing what you deserved in hell, bearing in his own body when he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. It was a real person who was laid in that tomb, a real person who came out after three days, a real person who has ascended and is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And there he is, the God-man, and in flesh, sitting by the throne of God, watching over us, praying for us, defending us whenever we sin. That's a real person. Never lose sight of that. And it is a real person, Jesus Christ, who is going to call us home one day in the rapture or one day to return to reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Not just an idea, not just a thought, not just a concept, not just some kind of disembodied spirit. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that you have trusted for your salvation. Now you are called upon to love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Why? Because he deserves it after all he has done. How dare you grow cold? How dare you grow indifferent to the one who has done so much for you? This is the one that we are personally going to be in his presence and we are personally going to praise him for eternity in heaven and he will receive that praise and we will be in his love that is a personal love for us forever and ever and ever with everlasting unending joy and that is a great thing to think about have you praised him have you thanked him or are you just a complainer are you acting as though he has not done enough for you or he owes you or something like that no he he doesn't owe you a thing all to him I owe is certainly true. And we owe him far more than we could ever repay. And that's why even as believers we still need the grace of God because we still fall short of the glory of God. Somebody say amen on that because that's what we need. Number two, he's much, much bigger than us and our generation. Have you ever noticed how we get stuck on ourselves we think about our times. Oh, why are we suffering? Why is life so hard? And we, we look at us, and life does get hard at times. But have you ever read the book of Job? You're not the only one that's suffering. You're not being picked on. <clears throat> it is not as though that out of all of these thousands of years of human history, God said, I've been waiting for you. Now I can really clobber you and make your life a living hell. That's not what it's all about. This is about something that started in the mind of God in eternity past. And this is about something that is carrying on today and being fulfilled today. And it will carry on and uh, it will culminate when the Lord comes and when he makes that new heaven and new earth and we live there with him. And we think about this. Paul said, and God our, and our God and Father who has loved us 
and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Uh, my dad used to quote for me when I would whine uh, something from an old country song. He said, I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. Right? And that's the way life is. Where do we ever get the idea that, okay, Lord, let's make a deal. I'll trust you and I'll take what's behind door number three as long as it's a new car or something like that. It doesn't work that way. We don't know what life is going to give us. Life is very strange and it makes twists and it makes turns and it goes up and it goes down. Sometimes it's through the sunlight. Sometimes it's through a tunnel. Sometimes the wind is blowing at our back and sometimes it's blowing 90 miles an hour head on. Sometimes the way is very warm and sunny and the birds are singing and the grass is green and it's just beautiful and other times it is cold and it is gray and uh, the wind is blowing again but this time in our face and it's blowing with a wind chill of 20 below zero and uh, it's hard to put one foot in front of another. But what do we do? We keep on living. We keep on walking. Sometimes we face things in life where we go, I don't know what I'm going to do. I do. You're going to live. You're going to get up tomorrow morning and you're going to take another step. And you're going to rejoice in the Lord and you're going to trust Him. You're going to put on your armor and you are going to be ready for the assignment of that day, whatever it might be. Because that is in the will and the plan of God. I looked through this particular uh, phrase out of this verse and uh, thought about this. The Father is the source of everything that we have and that we are. And it says that he loved us. That covers the past. It uh, also points to eternity past because he set his love on us before the foundation of the world. Your name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Think about that. God had it in his mind and his heart to love you and to save you. You're not an afterthought. You're not just an accident or anything like that. You were planned. So this isn't reason. It's not on a whim. But it is purposeful. And it's unchanging. God will never love you any more or any less than he loves you right now. And then the next phrase that was in this verse. It says that he has given us. That's the present tense. God is not just a God of the past. Now, he has done great things. But what has he done lately? Well, he has given us this wonderful grace, this wonderful salvation, and this everlasting um, consolation that he has. That's a present tense thing. And so uh, he's given it to the sinners, to the imperfect, and to the rebellious. And he does it as an act of grace because we don't deserve it, and yet he gives it. Then he talks about everlasting consolation. Now that kind of overlaps a little bit because we have that now. But you know what else it means? We will always have it. It's the future tense thing. Ten million years from now in heaven, we will be talking about this and we will be living in and experiencing the everlasting consolation of God. You know, uh, in some of the game shows that my mom used to watch, you know, if you didn't win, you got the consolation prize. So when I read this, everlasting consolation, what am I, a loser in all of this? Well, the idea of consolation is 
You didn't win the grand prize, but here's something that'll make you feel better. Here's something that'll make your time on this game show not quite so worthless. It's a, you know, half a year's supply of Tide or something like that. And uh, that's the consolation. Hope you feel better. Glad that you came and played on our game and on our show. Well, when Paul talks about here everlasting consolation, it means that forever we have a life without regret. We have a life where we are not sad. We have a life where we are not looking back and saying, boy, things just didn't work out for me. In fact, when you get to heaven, you are going to be surprised and amazed at how well your life fit together in the plan of God, how good everything was, even the times when you cried so hard and your heart was broken. Even during then, it was all fitting together in the eternal plan of God. And you have an eternal and everlasting consolation to where one day you will look back at the things that made you cry. You will be able to smile and say, He doeth all things well. Not just for one event, not just for one time. This is an everlasting thing that you will be able to do. And that will be, of course, to the praise of His glorious grace. So past present and future the father is working in your life regardless of where you are god never changes toward you and this is a good hope by grace it's not just a false hope it's not just a misguided hope it is good hope paul says confident assurance it's going to take place it's an expectation it's a positive expectation what does life hold what does the future hold i'm telling you as a child of god nothing but good because god is doing that for you number three don't drink out of a mirage because he understands and he knows what we need look at verse 17 he's going to comfort your heart is there anybody in here today who needs comfort? I know of at least a couple. Well, what about you? Have you been disappointed? Maybe your loved one didn't die, but maybe they hurt you. Maybe they betrayed you. Maybe they forsook you. Maybe they slandered you. Maybe they made fun of you. And you need the comfort of the Lord today. I know that none of us have been thrown to lions, but you've been persecuted lately? Have you had a family member that laughed at, the, at your faith? Have you had a co-worker that mocked you? Have you had anything like that happen to where you just wondered, is this worth it? Is anything coming of this? You tried to witness to somebody and they didn't get saved. You prayed for somebody and nothing seemed to happen. Well, from time to time, we need to be comforted here in this life. And Jesus understands and knows what we need. And verse 17 says, Comfort your hearts and establish you. The two things go together because we need comfort because we get hurt in this life. In this world you shall have tribulation. Jesus promised that. Going to happen just like it did with him. But then we also need to be established. Because sometimes when we get to where our hearts are broken and we're dis disappointed and we're dismayed and we're discouraged, we tend to wander off of the path. We tend to become unstable. And the word established there is a word that is used to, about settling a foundation. Before you build something, you have to have a good foundation on which it can stand. And God is your firm foundation. We used to sing a song 
years ago called Jesus you're my firm foundation I know I can stand secure Jesus you're my firm foundation Uh, I put my hope in your holy word and that's what Paul is talking about here comfort and encouragement to be stable not to be blown about by emotions not to be blown about by every wind and wave of doctrine but to live according to the will of God it reminded me of Acts chapter 20 when Paul is with the Ephesian elders now listen to what he says and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now, how would you respond to that? You know, I have things that the Lord wants me to do and I just don't want to do them just because I don't want to do them. Just because it's annoying. Just because I had other plans. Well, what would I do if I were in a thing where God said, this is what I want you to do and in every city chains await you and tribulations. And listen to what Paul says, right after he says that. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, I'm unmoved. It didn't mean he didn't have moments where he didn't... uh, cry or he wasn't afraid or he didn't have an attack of the enemy building up things bigger than they were it's that he knew that no matter what was going to happen his stability didn't come in his circumstances his stability didn't come in people that were around him his stability didn't come by his bank account his stability came from the lord i know this is going to happen i don't know how but i know what's going to happen And I don't know the degree or the intensity, but it doesn't matter. None of these things move me. What does it take to move you? What does it take to get you to give up? What does it take to get you to quit? And it's embarrassing how little it takes, especially when we compare ourselves to the apostle. And then number four, notice this. Don't drink from a mirage because Jesus gives purpose, ability, and fruitfulness. Notice Paul says, in every good word and work. Every one of them. This is the fruit that Jesus said in John 15 that he has ordained that we bear. He is uh, the vine, we're the branches, and the Father is the farmer, the gardener, that prunes and takes care of the branches so that they could bear fruit. And then Jesus makes this statement, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear fruit much fruit okay i'm not going to ask you to raise your hands how many of you are bearing fruit for the lord and how many of you even further are bearing much fruit for the lord if you're a believer you've got some somewhere we may have to dig around in the leaves and we find the little dried raisin here but at least it's something jesus said no i don't want you to live like that i want you to be walking with me in fruitfulness so that you have much fruit to the glory of the Father. And then he says, fruit that remains. He wants you to have an impact that will outlive you. Now, how is your Christianity doing on that? See, it's more than just, well, Grandma went to church every time the doors were open, so? Grandma was filled with the Spirit of God. 
And she showed Jesus in every situation. And she was a witness for Christ. And she imparted knowledge of the word of God and the truth of God. And was an intercessor for her family and all that. Now we've got something. Much fruit that will remain to the glory of God the Father. Fruitfulness in every good word and work. This is not drinking from a mirage. This is getting to quote Coca-Cola of years ago, the real thing. And the real thing is a person, and that person is a someone whose name is Jesus Christ. So do you know him today? Do you really know him? If you do, are you walking with him in a love relationship? And if you don't know him, if he's just a person who lived, or a myth, or a legend... Why don't you trust the person of Christ today? He is real and he will really save you and he will really fill your your life and he will really refresh you and he will really guide you and he will really protect you because he loves you with an everlasting love. Now I conclude by saying this. When you drink from a mirage, it's never what it appears, right? It's not really water. It's just reflection of light off of the sand. And that's the way life in this world is. It's never what it appears. Oh, this will make you happy. No, it won't. Oh, this will fulfill you. No, it won't. Oh, if you could just have this surgery, if you could just become this gender, if you could just have this bank account, if you could just have this feeling, if you could just have this sexual partner, if you could just experience this through drugs and alcohol, that's what the world says. It's drinking from a mirage. And it never Never gives, is, never is what it appears to be or promises. Notice that when you drink from Mirage, it's small, it's temporary, and it's disappointing. Like Don Knotts, when he started to drink from that Mirage, it wasn't anywhere near what it promised to be or what he thought it would be or what he had hoped it would be. And that's all this world has to offer you is disappointment and fear, discouragement, frustration, and we could go on and on and on. It's always inadequate. But let me just say this, it can get worse because there are some people today, and maybe I'm talking to you, you're not drinking from a mirage, you've been drinking out of the sewer. And you think that doing that, that's what I really need. And you're going to find out one of these days is exactly what you didn't need. What do you need? You need Jesus. And Jesus gave us a promise. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, talking about repentance and faith in Him and submission to His Lordship, shall be saved. I want to ask you a question. Say amen to this. Is that promise true? Amen. And if you couldn't say amen to that, I hope you can shortly. Will you trust Him today? Because drinking out of a mirage or drinking out of the toilet is never going to satisfy your soul. But Jesus is the bread of life and the living water that truly does satisfy. And that's true even for believers today. Return to your first love and follow Jesus and embrace the person of Christ. The one who loves you with an everlasting love. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, forgive us for the times when the devil could just throw anything in front of us and we would drink it. We would eat it. We're like a toddler crawling on the floor, picking up everything that he or she finds, putting it in our mouth. Oh, forgive us. Let us grow up, be wise and discerning. 
And let us as believers know that there's only one who can satisfy, and that is Jesus. Return us to our first love. We repent today of loving the world, loving ourselves, loving our family, loving pleasure more than we love Jesus Christ. Forgive us and cleanse us and renew us. May today be the day that we remember the first works, that we repent and we return to those first works. And for those who have never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, let them taste the sewer today. Let them taste the sand of the mirage. Let them become utterly disgusted with it and let them see the sweetness of the grace of God and let them drink freely of the living water by repenting of their sin, putting their trust in none other than Jesus Christ and to be born again unto a living hope. And we pray all of this because you're worthy of it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.